all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Chief of Development and Behavioral Pediatrics at University of Mississippi. Today, we'll be talking about the back-to-school blues and how to avoid them. Buying the school supplies in the new backpack is an easy piece of school year readiness. But what do teachers wish parents would do to help their child adjust to the new year? Sleepiness in class, that incomplete required reading and scheduling difficulties are all issues that can be made better with a little work starting now. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. We want you to share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one 877 mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Donald Trump's presidential campaign is disputing allegations that the speech the presumptive Republican nominee's wife, Melania Trump, delivered to the Republican National Convention last night was plagiarized. NPR Sarah McCammon reports sections of the speech bore a striking similarity to one given by First Lady Michelle Obama in 2008. First, the side-by-side. Here's Michelle Obama at the Democratic National Convention eight years ago talking about the values her parents taught her. You work hard for what you want in life, that your word is your bond, that you do what you say you're going to do. And here's Melania Trump last night. The values that you work hard for what you want in life, that your word is your bond, and you do what you say and keep your promise. There are more similarities, but the Trump campaign says it's not plagiarism. Chairman Paul Manafort called that accusation really absurd on CNN this morning. Sarah McCammon, NPR News. The theme of the convention's second day is Make America Work Again. Speeches are expected to focus on jobs and the overall U.S. economy. The Russian government says its athletes are still preparing for the Olympics in Rio, even though the whole delegation faces the prospect of being banned for doping. The World Anti-Doping Agency has endorsed the prohibition after a report released Monday revealed a likely state-sponsored scheme to conceal the results of hundreds of failed drug tests by Russian athletes, a claim the Kremlin denies. However, summer Olympic sports federations say they're willing to address the issue on a case-by-case basis. The Prime Minister of Turkey, Benali Ildirim, says Ankara will provide Washington with evidence that a Turkish cleric residing in the United States orchestrated last Friday's failed military coup against elected President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. NPR's Leila Fadl reports the government has repeatedly and publicly called for the cleric's extradition. Fatella Gulan is a Pennsylvania-based cleric and former ally of Erdogan's. 
but the pair fell out and are now bitter enemies. Erdogan accuses the influential cleric and his supporters of being behind the attempted military takeover on Friday. But Gulen denies any involvement. He also implied the coup could have been staged. It's a rampant conspiracy theory among Erdogan opponents that he staged the failed takeover as a pretext for a major crackdown. Since the bloody attempt on Friday that left some 230 people dead, more than 7,500 people have been detained. Erdogan told CNN the accusation that he could have staged the coup is ridiculous and, quote, beyond possible. Leila Faldin, NPR News, Istanbul. The F- and government is reporting a surge in Taliban attacks across the country today. It's the first uptick in violence since the Muslim holy month of Ramadan ended in early July. U.S. stocks are lower. The Dow is down 19 points at 18,513. This is NPR News. Yahoo, one of the pioneering companies of the Internet, has released what may be its last earnings report as an independent company. NPR's Laura Seidel reports Yahoo posted deep losses, making clear that a potential buyer for the company will face a lot of challenges. Yahoo's revenue fell close to 20 percent in the second quarter. The company is currently reviewing bids from buyers interested in its web properties, such as its email services, the blog site Tumblr, and Yahoo Finance. The earnings report comes almost four years after Marissa Meyer became the CEO, raising hopes that the falling Internet pioneer could reverse its fortunes. Meyer, a former Google executive, brought in new talent, made acquisitions, and boosted investment in video and search. But Yahoo couldn't compete with Facebook and Alphabet for ad dollars. A of the company's web properties will probably be the end of Meyer's tenure. Laura Seidel, NPR News, San Francisco. Pokemon Go is still paying off for Nintendo, more than doubling the Japanese game maker's stock price. On the Tokyo Stock Exchange today, shares in Nintendo closed up 14% at 31,700 yen or $300. Pokemon Go is a smartphone app that uses Google Maps to virtually place Pokemon creatures within a real landscape. The game has soared in popularity ever since it launched July 6. It has yet to be released in Japan and other parts of Asia. U.S. stocks are lower. The Dow down 17 points. S&P 500 is off 5. And the Nasdaq is down 19 points. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include LegalZoom, providing resources to protect intellectual property, including trademark registration, copyrights, patents, and independent attorney consultations for advice. Legal help is at LegalZoom.com. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to family at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning and welcome to Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Chief of Development and Behavioral Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. 
So today we're talking about the back-to-school blues and how you can avoid them. Or perhaps if you're a grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, how you can help those children that you love avoid them. It seems that buying the school supplies in the new backpack is really the easy piece of school year readiness. But what do teachers really wish parents would do to help their child adjust to the new school year? That sleepiness in class, incomplete reading, um, required reading, the scheduling difficulties, just getting back into a routine are all issues that can be made better by a little bit of work if you'll start now. School starts um, very early now, that first week in August uh, for many. So we're going to talk today with some teachers about what they wish we would do. And we want you to share your thoughts and comments and experiences with us about that, too. You can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So this morning, I have three ladies who have been gracious enough to come in and talk with us. We have uh, Debbie Houghton, who is principal at Mansdale Elementary School in Gluckstadt, Mississippi. Thanks for being here, Debbie. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting us. Uh, we also have Anne Matheny. Did I say that right? Matheny. Matheny. And thank you for being here. <laughs> she is in elementary school at Mansdale Elementary School. And... Um, Dr. Beth Brownlee is a former teacher, taught junior high, right, Beth? Yes, ma'am. At uh, And she's now a pediatric resident at UMMC with me, and so I coerced her into coming. We were talking about this topic, and it just seemed like something that Beth, even being a few years away from teaching, still had some thoughts about what we're doing as parents right, what perhaps we're doing wrong, and um, some of the typical things that perhaps we could do to help diminish anxiety, um, adjusting better to school before it starts, butterflies that are something that so many children have. In fact, I would expect that most do if we really sat down and talked to our kids. I think sometimes parents are so ready to get the kids back into school and back into a routine, but sometimes parents aren't so ready either. They've enjoyed the looseness of the scheduling and want to savor that moment until the very last minute, which sometimes you really shouldn't do. So like, we're going to talk about um, a few things. And, and Beth, one of the very first things you brought up about uh, getting adjusted back into school was in junior high, the difficulty you had with your junior high students being sleepy in class the first week or so. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. It was really a struggle for the first several weeks, actually. If they waited until school was back going to get up at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever time they had to to get to their school, um, that they would be sleepy all day, not paying attention in class. It would persist into the afternoon and would last for several weeks. Right. And problematic. Very problematic when you're trying to adjust to school. And I, I guess, um, Debbie and Ann, do y'all have some comments about that too? Is that something that you feel like even in elementary school you see a lot of? 
Oh, yes, we see a lot of that. And the kids getting back into a routine of going to sleep earlier, if they've been staying up, their sleep cycle is off. So they're not wanting to go to bed at 9 o'clock because they've been staying up until 10 or 11 because the whole schedule has been relaxed. And so it's very hard for them to get back to sleep at a good time, which then causes it harder for them to get up in the morning. So it's just a a hard cycle to break. It really is. And so often um, what I tell parents in, in clinic this time of year, because I see a lot of children right before they're getting back into school, is I tell them start now, um, moving the schedule back a bit. And, and one bit of advice that I've had is um, to start uh, backing the bedtime up a bit. So if they've been going to bed at 11 or midnight uh, for a couple of days, back it up to 9.30, uh, then back it up to 8.30 bedtime. We know that our children in elementary school need around 10 hours of sleep. And, and in junior high and high school, actually people think the sleep need diminishes, but in many cases, it goes up. So some teenagers need 12 hours of sleep. They most don't get it. But to back that um, sleep schedule up and then also change wake-up time. Don't let the children sleep until 11 or noon, but to start having them wake up a little bit earlier. And I think most of the time that works. But um, we were talking about the adjustment and how long it takes a child to adjust to this. And if you just do a hard change, like Beth said, sometimes um, the first few weeks, because they're still not going to bed as early as they should and still waking up 45 minutes before they're supposed to be awake and alert in school rather than that hour and a half that they really need, um, many times the, the adjustment's bad. So... Um, I just want, before we go um, any further on this, I wanted to tell you a little bit about a study from Harvard Medical School that's very interesting to me. Um, Because I tell parents often it'll take two or three weeks to really adjust. But if you really do it right, you can readjust in as little as a week. So there's still time, parents, to uh, readjust that sleep schedule before school starts. So this is what they suggest you do. It's adjust the food clock. So that means instead of having your mealtime at 7 or 8, adjust it back. You want your not to eat anything for 12 to 16 hours prior to when you want to wake up. Okay, so that makes sense. So if you need the child to wake up at 6 a.m., they need to be done with supper or dinner, whatever you call it, at 6 p.m. Okay, and if it's anything like my household in the summer, we eat very late because it gets dark um, later, and so everything kind of gets thrown off. So think about that. Um, For younger children, they really may need to eat at 5 now, that's hard for working parents who don't get home until 5.30 or 6. But if you, a light fare for supper is fine. So maybe you can do something very simple and quick to make so that you can work on that bedtime. Have y'all ever tried that? I just am curious if any of you 
had ever heard of the food clock change. I, I've never heard of that change, but I think it sounds great. It makes sense. It does. It does. It really does. And um, I think, Debbie, you've been uh, uh, certainly a classroom teacher um, before you became a principal. What age group were you working with? Um, I've actually taught junior high and elementary and college oh, wow. age students. So Did you kind of see the day. same adjustment at any age? Yes. Did they all seem to have the same difficulty? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that so keep in mind, I thought that was a good tip from that Harvard study. And actually, without going into great detail, the way the study came out is they first looked at an animal study and found that most mammals will um, readjust their sleep cycle by their food clock um, to, to make sure that they're able to get enough nourishment. So tip number one is to make sleep better. And um, one thing that may help it is to move supper time um, up as far um, about 12 to 16 hours away from bedtime. Okay. So before our next, uh, before our first break, um, Anne, why don't you tell us um, another issue that seems to come up repeatedly that you wish parents would work on before they enter school? Um, One of the issues that um, I think kind of goes along with the sleep is taking away the electronic devices. (laughs) Um, Uh. I I have a preteen myself, and you see one one pattern of them staying awake is the cell phone or the TV in the room. So I think taking that cell phone away at night and keeping it on your nightstand instead of their nightstand um, would would be really great. And grabbing that remote control, um, I think that'll help them sleep better at night because they're up all the time. They get the alerts. Right. And they want to see what's on the phone. And I think that would help a lot. And they texted. And, right. Yes. yes. Excellent advice. And we have talked about that um, on, on this very show several times that 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 media, the screen alone, the brightness of your electronic screen, whether it's a laptop, an iPad or a smartphone, um, is um, of such a quality that it is even worse than sunlight as far as keeping one awake. And so it diminishes the surge in melatonin, so it's going to interfere with sleep. Now, the other thing that I think your mention about electronics, there's a lot of evidence that it the, the rapidity for which a lot of the video games move and everything... Um, grabs your attention span, right? So um, very rapid movement, um, new, new thought every second or so, and, um, right? Yes, and, and so what happens is then they get in the classroom and they have a teacher who is not giving a new thought every five seconds. It's hard to pay attention, you know? And so no matter how creative you are and how hard you try, you're not going to stand up to that video game, right? You don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. And so to try to be exciting, to try to move the class quickly, um, you still have to move it at a correct pace. Um, I'm curious, Debbie, do you all have rules about cell phones in, um, 
in the classroom or electronics in the classroom? Yes, ma'am. In elementary, we do not allow them to have the cell phones out in the classrooms mm-hmm. unless they're doing something that's pertinent to the class that day. Right. So certainly we all know that um, having laptops and iPads in a classroom is something that most schools do now, and mm-hmm. they should. Um, how, how many, Jay is asking me a question. Jay, tell me what you are asking. I was just, I was curious <laughs> at the elementary school level. Right. How many kids have phones and when do you start seeing it come into the classroom? How young? A lot of students have phones. I would say third grade is when we really start to see that. Um, they don't necessarily get them out in the classrooms. They're really, I think, more for the parents at some point to say when baby gets to childcare, baby gets home, I just want that text message, I want that phone call. And so that's acceptable if we keep the phone turned off at school to help parents with that. So we don't really see them get those out. That's more fourth and fifth grade. It starts to, you know, you got to kind of watch it a little bit closer at that point. Right. And then and then when you get into junior high and high school, you're looking at upwards of 90% of kids have a phone of some sort. And I've seen numbers that um, are like 75% of children will have smartphones and the numbers are ever increasing it seems that even when one can't afford other things they go for that um, smartphone so before we go to our first break i want to go ahead and get to richard who's called in from grand bay alabama good morning richard thanks for calling good morning good morning ladies good morning. I, have a, I have a good question morning. i had a really bad time going back to school <laughs> especially junior high and high as a matter of fact I, I I used to walk out of out of school and go hide in the woods. It was so bad. Uh, I suffered from Asperger's, which now I guess they call it autism spectrum or whatever. Right. And uh, I was also bullied being a loner. And going back to school was I loved school, but I was it was it was a fearful experience. And I'm wondering how uh, school officials now deal with a situation like that because back then. Uh, it looked it looked like I mean I come in with welts and and things from being beaten in the house, at home uh-huh. and you know I, I I think they looked at me and wondered what they could do but I think their hands were tied back then and and how things may have changed today Richard and that's and I'll, uh, and I'll take your uh, I'll take your uh, answer offline. Okay. Thank you, Richard, for that call. Um, Yes, you're right. Asperger's is now called um, high-functioning autism or autism spectrum disorder. And certainly the socialization aspect in individuals with Asperger's is the hardest part. Often um, those um, children with that disorder are highly intelligent. So, um, Debbie, you're frowning. I can tell it really bothers you. Bullying is such a huge issue. Why don't you take that question and talk to us a little bit about it? Well, I think we we have all been more enlightened about bullying over the years. I think it's become, it's really on the forefront of what we look for in a school. And um, we certainly try to reach out and make sure that that doesn't happen. I I don't think you do see it as much in elementary as you do in junior high. I think it's harder to hide it in elementary because our teachers spend a great deal of time with their students. And so um, elementary teachers do a pretty good job of being in tune with their students and what's going on with them. But I do think in junior high we have to be more 
aware and and have been i think that as a nation we have done a good job of of looking for and trying to to make sure that we are there for every child irregardless of what's going on with them and so do you have bullying programs do is there are there in services on how teachers should manage that um what do y'all do to make sure that it's addressed appropriately um, well, and we in the past, I think when it became a big deal, I think when you saw the Columbine shooting and you saw the things that went on there, I think that we really pushed into the schools and did in service and talked to teachers about what you need to look for. I don't think we have that as much now because we have become so much more aware of what's going on out there. But we do um, have a, a procedure in which you can go through the process of bullying, either talking to the teacher, to the counselor, going on to the administration, but being very aware of, of making sure that we're, we're reaching out to those kids and making sure that that's not going on in the schools. Right. I certainly hear about bullying issues, especially in middle school. I hear from a lot of fifth and sixth grade little girls who... Um, talk about the meanness that can happen and and often it can be very subversive and it's the the child with autism spectrum disorder or ADHD or um, a child with a learning disability who is the target and and then the one that um, often is impulsive and gets in trouble because they react and the bully Er is the one that never gets in trouble because um, they're a little sneaky about it. So um, let's go to our first break. And when we come back, we'll continue to talk about um, the back to school blues, how to deal with it. We're talking about sleep issues, bullying issues, electronics or whatever our listeners want to talk about. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 You can send us an email to family at mpbonline.org. Linda and Frank will get to you in just a moment. After our break, we'll be right back. And 27 years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow history in the making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ashley Jeffcoat. Every Wednesday morning at 10, the calls roll in. Going first to Joe in Oxford. Larry's on 555. Bob is in Columbus. No matter where you are in the world, this is the place for you to get informed and excited about the everyday technologies in your life. Listen to us. Email us. Call us. Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. I will do that. Thank you so much. And back to the show. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. 
That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to family at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are talking about back-to-school blues and how you can deal with them. I have a former teacher, uh, Dr. Beth Brownlee, who's now a pediatric resident at UNC. We have Debbie Houghton, who is principal at an elementary school, Mansdale Elementary, and a teacher, and Matheny? Matheny. Gosh, Ann. I'll That's get okay. it straight. Uh, also at Mansdale. And um, we've we've talked about sleep issues. We've talked about electronics. And, and we kind of, before the break, we're talking about bullying and how much of a problem uh, that can be. Um, so we'd love to hear from you if you have some thoughts and comments. We have some open lines. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. We're going to go back to the phones. Let's go to Frank and Jackson. Frank, you have some comments about exercise. Hey, guys. I really appreciate you taking taking this on. One thing I learned dealing with kids in church uh, outings, week-long, three days, overnight, is that the food thing is absolutely right. Don't let them snack after dinner. Tell them no more food. But I found that, especially with boys, uh some kind of exercise competition, say an hour and a half before you want them to go to sleep. Push-ups, sit-ups, anything to get them going. Um, They're not elementary school kids. They don't get hyper. They will get tired, and they will go to sleep a lot quicker. It is amazing how that works. Um, The women in our church have a real good handle on handling the girls. I mean, the girls are, well, girls are easier, so they tell. I don't know if that's still that way. But with the guys, Not always. <laughs> <laughs> with the guys, I found that competitive exercise, where you say how many push-ups can you do in a certain amount of time, you keep track, you know, you talk about it all day, uh, you hand out push-ups as punishment or as discipline during the day, and after an hour and a half or hour of really competitive exercise activity, you don't have to run around, you can run up and down the stairs, whatever you can find, they go to sleep so quick, it is unbelievable. I'm actually really glad you said something about physical exercise because it's so important that every child gets exercise every day. Um, We try to integrate it into schools. I encourage it at every well-child visit. I try to get everyone under the uh, education and understand that they can exercise every day, even if they don't go to a gym or if they're not, uh, they don't have access to that. They can do it at home, walk around in their neighborhood, wherever they feel safe and comfortable and want to exercise. They should get their whole family involved, and it absolutely makes them sleep better. I'm very glad that you brought up that they need to be exercising. Right. Frank, one one uh, bit of suggestion that I would make is we recommend that kind of heavy exercise be about two hours away from bedtime so that they can have sort of a winding down and settling down. But um, certainly exercise is a great thing. Now, I'm going to turn to our, our principal and our, our teacher, um, Ann and Debbie. Um, talk to us about um, exercise at school. Do we, do we still have um, regular PE, regular exercise at the schools? Is it required? It, it is required. So we do have um, PE, but we also, 
in light in 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 adjunct or adjunct too with PE is we also have recess time still in the elementary schools, and so we encourage kids to get out there and play and run and uh, and every day they have that opportunity to go to recess and get that time to do some exercise. Um, we have a fantastic coach at our school. And he really gets, you know, getting some the kids walking and getting some exercise and really focusing on the importance of exercise with students. Right. I think that helps a lot as far as just um, concentration-wise. We know that if kids, uh, the attention span, we've talked about this before, the attention span of adults is 25 minutes at a time. Yet, we often expect our children to sit very still and very quietly for much longer periods um, than that. And so I, I understand we're moving away from that, right? Um, as far as um, what the expectations of, say, an elementary school. So we have yes. more centers-based mm-hmm. education, and so that the students aren't sitting so long at a lecture from a teacher, but more self-directed, more center, and moving those centers around. As an education, we are moving more and more every day towards more centers, more time to get those kids up and moving and thinking and doing that. Yeah, hopefully other schools are doing that. Uh, uh, listeners, do you feel like your schools are doing that? Or are they helping your children? And I wonder, is that some some uh, what the reason of why children get so anxious prior to school start? Are they worried about whether or not they can do it, whether or not they can perform whether or not they're going to get in trouble the first day of school. I don't know. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Let's go on to Linda in Port Gibson. Good morning, Linda. Thanks for calling. Yes. Uh, I would like to talk about uh, my hang-ups or before starting school. Now, um, just the excitement of seeing friends and renewing acquaintances. But then reality hit the first day of school, just knowing that I would have to get on the bus and go through taunts and uh, bullying. And I'm 58 years old, and to this day, that still bothered me, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, can she speak about that? Because that uh, just knowing that I had to get on that bus 43 just left a, a lasting negative memory. Yeah. And it didn't stop until I was 10th grade. And, I, of course, uh, the bus route changed and all of that. So, yeah, people don't realize Sticks and stones will break your bone. It will break your self-esteem for the rest of your life. Yeah, words can really do some major damage, can't they, because Linda? I'm legally blind, and I have a, a hearing. Uh, I have a hearing and uh, defect, mm-hmm. and uh, I was made fun of every day on the bus. Mm. But I got to school. So, so, Linda, that is, um, I just 
brought that up. I I do believe that often that um, worry about experiencing that again for the coming year, what you had. So many times home is a safe haven, haven. And so when you're at home, you don't have to worry about it. But then you get back to school and there it is all over again. And um, you, you, um, interesting, we were just talking about uh, bullying in my office with some of the residents and, and you tagged it. Often it's, it's terrible in uh, middle school, junior high and the beginning of high school, but then it tends to go away around 10th grade. I guess kids just realize it's okay to be different. Um, But I'd, I'd like to, um, hear from any of our, our teachers or former teacher about your thoughts on um, how you can perhaps empower a child to be able to stand up to that. Do you have some thoughts? I think your greatest resource is your homeroom teacher. A lot of times, if you will, a lot of times things go on that we are unaware of because students aren't telling someone, telling an adult. If if you feel like the homeroom teacher is not doing something, then find an adult in the building that you trust. Because there's generally always one, whether it's the coach or the librarian or the counselor. And our counselors are fantastic. And I, I would highly recommend talking to one of them because they do take very seriously when someone comes to talk to them about these kinds of issues. But a lot of times the adults don't realize what's going on. And so I think the biggest thing for kids is to remember, reach out to a trusting adult, go to an adult you trust and and tell them what's going on and tell them, you know, the parameters in which you feel you need their help. Do you need them to step up and talk to the other kids or do you need them to sit back and watch? But talk to an adult that you trust. Good advice. Ann, any thoughts? Well, I think the bus can be an intimidating place for the kids because there's a bus driver. Sometimes they have assistance on the bus. Sometimes they don't. But the kids have a little bit more free freedom on the bus. And so it can cause a lot of anxiety for students. And like um, Mrs. Houghton was saying, sometimes the adults don't know. And sometimes the kids keep it bottled up inside and they don't want to say anything Parents have got to ask questions. If you if you feel like your child is experiencing some sort of anxiety, you've got to be persistent and get to the bottom of it. Don't just sweep it under the rug. Um, and it might take you several days, I know, to get it out of a child. But if you suspect there's a bus issue or a bullying issue, please be persistent about it. And then once you know the whole story, Go to the teacher or the principal or the counselor and try to get the issue resolved. Right. I think um, that's great advice. And and just empowering the child with knowledge on how to deal with it is very important. We're talking about the back-to-school blues and some of the difficulties that children have, to the, the butterflies, the sleep issues, the anxiety, um, the trouble about bullying. We've had a couple of callers already calling in about the bullying that they remembered, and they're now adults and continue to... Um, have those negative memories. So what we need to do is to try to avoid those for our 
children growing up now. We want to hear from you. Give us a call about your thoughts about back-to-school adjustment and difficulties at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 6727464 you can send us an email to family at mpbonline.org so um one thing again on the back to school preparation so what do you need to do now this week next week on preparing your child on getting back into school now and i think some of that is to sit down and and just talk and listen to them and say hey how do you feel about going back to school um tell me what are you worried about anything is are you looking forward to it who are you, who do you want to see first um what kind of great things happened last year or what kind of struggles are you worried about again i think having an open forum i think so many times we as parents um don't take the time to listen we're so busy instructing and um telling um and lecturing uh, and we don't just sit back and ask those great open-ended questions that might make a difference. Absolutely. I think so, too. It's just so important to talk to your kids about anything, about school, about how they're feeling, about are they ready for school? Are they ready to start back? Do they have any fears or concerns? What child wouldn't want to hear that from their parent? They may dismiss it and say, oh, mom, dad, I'm fine. But if they're not, you've done them a great service by just asking. Right. I do want to go back um, to a point, um, Anne, that you had about uh, you may not, and I think Debbie, you said it too, you may not realize that the bullying's going on. You may not realize that something is happening. Um, asking the questions is one thing, um, but to to make yourself notice any kind of changes. So let me give you a few thoughts, listeners, about the changes that you might see in your child. Um, increased withdrawal, um, going up to their room after school and, and acting differently, acting sad, or um, perhaps having an appetite change uh, diminished or even an increased appetite can be a sign of something negative. Or certainly sleep problems, nightmares, night terrors, dif- difficulty falling asleep, difficulty waking up. Any of those can be signs and symptoms of um, the fact that there's something not quite right going on doesn't necessarily mean it's bullying. It may mean that you have a depressed child or a very highly anxious child or a child who's performing badly in school but doesn't want to tell you. There there might be several other things going on. Um, so I just hope everybody out there just remembers that you can be a, a a really loving, caring parent, but if you don't stop and watch and ask questions and listen to your child, you may miss something important. So we're going to go to our next break. Um, When we get back, we're going to keep talking about back-to-school blues and what you can do, how you can help. We've got um, a principal, a school teacher, and a former school teacher, now doctor, all talking about what you can do and how we can help. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back.
227 years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow history in the making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This week, Republicans will convene in Cleveland to nominate Donald Trump for president. NPR and PBS NewsHour will be there, too. We're teaming up to bring you live coverage each night. I'm Rachel Martin. Join me, Judy Woodruff, and Gwen Ifill for speeches, interviews, and analysis live from the Republican National Convention. Special coverage from PBS NewsHour and NPR News. MPB Think Radio, your home for live election coverage. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to family at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. And we are talking about the back-to-school blues. I'm here with uh, Principal Debbie Houghton of the Upper Elementary School at Mansdell. Um, Anne, who is a teacher there, and Dr. Beth, who is a pediatric resident, former teacher. And um, before the break, we were uh, talking about um, back to school and bullying and some of the difficulties and the anxieties. And um, Debbie, you had a comment about how parents present it. I think it's a good one. Well, I think we have to be real careful as parents to say, to be positive. You have to put a positive spin. If you, it's it's like addressing your staff or anyone. If you're negative, they're going to be negative. And so if as a parent, and I'm a mother of three, so I was, you know, excited when school started because my kids were out of the house, right? But <laughs> I had to put a positive spin on how it worked for them as well. You know, this is your opportunity to gather a great education. This is your opportunity to, to lay down a foundation and, and, you know, education can't be taken from you. It's one of those things that people can't steal from you. And so the importance of just going back to school and how important school is and how it empowers kids, I think, is a big thing is just being sure that parents are is pa- positive, positive about the excitement of going back to school. And not just because you're kicking them out. Right. Right. Like right. Not just because you have your freedom. Back. Absolutely. <laughs> but more because it's such a great gift for for children and for people in general to have. Right. Well, let's. Uh, we have Rachel in Ripley, Mississippi. You have a tip for us for the mornings. Good morning, Rachel. Thanks for calling. Good morning. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, I have three children, and what I have found myself to have a pretty positive outcome is um, in the Bible, there is a proverb, a chapter for every day of the month. And um, in the mornings before school, of course, you got to wake them up maybe about 15, 20 minutes earlier, you know. Um, but reading a chapter with them every morning, praying with them every morning, and helping them to learn how to pray for those 
who are um, maybe bullying them or they seem to have a conflict. or And it, it showed for me within mine um, good, better grades, um, a better positive outlook for school, um, especially my oldest one who, can't, who really didn't like school. Um, but it, it really, that seemed to help with mine. So. I think that's a great suggestion. And, and what you're doing is you're putting the morning in a positive light. Um, so if you're, if you're not a prayer, if we have listeners out there who are not, uh, I certainly believe in prayer, but if you're not, um, a quiet meditation, uh, talking about happy stuff, um, center your mind on something really positive can be helpful for all of us for the start of our day, but certainly can, can help your child. So certainly the morning is not a good time to talk about the negative stuff that happened the day before, right? Anne is nodding. I know you want to say something. Yes. Uh, Starting the morning off calm is important. Um, It doesn't always happen at my house. (laughs) But you do see a difference when the kids are able to have a calm and relaxing morning. Then they come to school ready to learn. Um, some, Some kids, when they've had a tough morning at home, it carries over mm-hmm. to their school day. And lots of times you've got to go to that child and say, hey, you have a bad morning. And they're, you'll just see the tears in their eyes. You know, yeah, I forgot my lunch box. My mom got mad at me. She, you know, the calmness and having to have a calm day. And if you do have a bad day, a bad morning, giving your kid a hug as they get out of the car or before you put them on that bus and say, hey, bud, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be okay. It really can carry them farther into having a more positive day. Great point. You you just don't want a child um, leaving leaving your house, leaving your arms, leaving your car, without trying to put a positive spin on it. And I'm a big person about hugs. There's research out there. Our listeners have heard me say this more than once. Um, there's research out there that that eight second hug. If you just give an eight second hug. Um, it kind of resets things. It It's very calming. Um, it tends to lower the blood pressure and the heart rate. So um, keep in mind that centering back is a really, really important thing to do. Great point, Anne. Thank you. Um, Rachel, uh, are you still there with us? Um, so are your kids grown? Um, I have a 12, almost 13, um, 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old. Oh, wow. So you're still in the trenches doing it. Yes. Oh, very good. Well, that was a great tip, and I, I think you you helped us remind everybody. And you know what? It works also for your spouse, for your significant other, not just your kids. So so try to... to Depart from each other in the morning with a very positive spin, and it'll make a huge difference in your day. And if you see someone else who is not positive, looks like they had a bad send-off, then maybe you can help them uh, center back just by letting them know that they care, that you care about them and what you see. So great, great call. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, I love starting the day with remembering the things I'm grateful for and the things that I have that, that are just such blessings in my life. 
including my children. I have three. And so just, and my, my husband as well, Mm -hmm. but just those blessings and reminding your kids how blessed you are to have them and how, how fortunate you feel as a parent and how much you love them as, as they walk away, them feeling like a blessing. And then also the prayer is so empowering to feel like you do have some control. And I just think those are great ideas. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much, Rachel. Uh, let's go back to the phones. We have Hope in Meridian, and you have a comment about being positive after school. So let's hear from you. Okay, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, my thank kids you. are um, both grown um, and out of school now, but when they were smaller and I'd pick them up after school, all they wanted to do was complain about this and that. So I got to where I would say, okay, you have to tell me three good things that happened at school. And then you can tell me three bad things that happened. And so that way it would turn it from everything being negative to the positive. I wonder, um, did they ever get to the to the negative? Or when you were having them try to think of three good things, did it sort of distract from the, the negative? It did. Yeah. It did distract. I think that's a great technique. Um, I know I uh, one thing I did with my kids, I, I had five who went through school and um we been there done that saw everything but one thing that I tried to do after school is tell me the best thing that happened to you today and so it was sort of along the same lines as yours hope of uh, just try to set it in a positive light and then if they really do have something negative to tell you at least they're not completely in the dumps um by the time they're there giving you that word. I don't know. Do any of you have any other thoughts about that one? I love that idea. I think, you know, for kids to always be positive about school, because that is what really fosters that lifelong learn of lo- uh, loving school and learning. And if they walk away and it's positive, it's positive when they get there in the morning, it's positive during the day, and then positive when they leave, they're more apt to do well in school because they are learning to love school. Right. Um, One bit of advice. Thanks for your call, Hope. Uh, That was another wonderful tip. We've gotten some great tips today. Um, One other bit of advice that I'd like to throw out there is that preparation of um, getting ready for school before the frenzy of the early morning when everybody's still a little groggy and trying to eat breakfast and get their stuff together and out of the door. Um, the evening before, this is something that I know we did in our home um, as much as we could. We didn't do it every day, but to choose what you're going to wear. If it's a school uniform, get it out. Find those socks, find those shoes. Um, you know, how many times do parents run around trying to find the left shoe and all they can find is the right shoe or something like that? So so to go ahead, get it, get things out, get it prepared so that um, in the morning, all they have to do, they don't have to think about making decisions. Um, all they have to do is get up and put those clothes on and um, hopefully have breakfast and get out the door. So we have just about three more minutes left to um, try to summarize things. And I I quickly want to ask a a question um, about those um, orientations. How important do y'all think orientations are? Do you think that there's never a reason that you should miss one? 
I think anything that helps you be prepared for what's coming, which is what orientation is designed to do, to get you there, to see the building. Because when you don't see the building, let's say we have a, a night where it's meet the teacher for the kids to be able to get in the building, walk the building. And we have a brand new building. It's beautiful. And, and, and so it's a great opportunity for kids to get in there and see what's going on. But also orientation we have later. And it gives parents the opportunity to ask questions and to know and to be proactive. I think it's just such a proactive thing to do. So, no, I, I, I think parent, everyone should go to orientation. I think it's just a great opportunity for us to, to be empowered to know more and more each time. Right. One thing that I recommend to um, children who, who do have high anxiety or have some socialization issues is even before orientation to go to the school, um, see where it is, walk up to the door, um, if, if able to walk to the classroom in which they'll be, but to do anything you can do to make it feel more familiar and more secure often is very helpful. And do you have any parting words for um, us? Yes. One thing that um, parents, they're all, and students are all ready to go to school, but one thing that I have seen is the after school. Um, sometimes parents fail to plan for how are their kids going to get home those first couple of days. Are they going to go? Is grandma going to pick them up? Mm-hmm. Are they going to ride the bus? Are they starting a new daycare? Mm-hmm. And you will see a lot of anxiety in students those first couple of days if they don't know how am I getting home. Um, who's picking me up? Where am I going to go? And so I really highly encourage parents to walk their kids through the entire day. And this is how you're going to get home or grandma's going to pick you up. Um, It just eases their anxiety level a lot. Great advice. Having a plan is never a bad idea. (laughs) Starting them off knowing we're getting up at this time, we're eating breakfast, we're going to school. This is what you'll do during the day. And when you get home, I think that's awesome. And have that home homework mm-hmm. spot plan. Talk yep. about when a good time to do homework is, is another great point. Absolutely. So I think we all find security in, in somewhat of a routine. I know I'm one who sometimes gets a little bored with the too much routine, but children need a schedule and they need a routine and they need a bedtime and they need it. It just adds security, and it certainly will make a, a teacher's life better. Won't yes, it? <laughs> yes, for sure. And, and having them repeat all that plan back to you, like, okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Did you listen to? Right. And even it doesn't hurt sometimes to put a little note in the backpack. So if the kid says, "What if I forget?" You know, it, here's the note. It's in the backpack. This is your plan. This is how you're getting home. And so Perfect. just having all of that ready for children just is so helpful. So I want to thank all of you ladies for being here with us. This, I thought, was a a great discussion. Thanks to our callers for calling in. And um, I think maybe this will help some of our children have a much better back-to-school time. So thanks to all, Relatively Speaking, as a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show is engineered by our producer, Jay White, our call screeners, Liz Gill. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. And stay tuned now for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.
This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Most of us are under high pressure as we go into this afternoon and high heat and high humidity making for a very dangerous proposition. Much of the north and western part of the state under a heat. 